The flight deck is made possible by the generous donors supporting the Museum of Flight. You can support this podcast and the Museum of Flight's other initiatives across the United States and the world by visiting museumofflight.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. I am your host, Sean Mobley. Before starting, I want to say a quick note of thanks. Two weeks ago, we launched The Flight Deck and the response has frankly exceeded my wildest expectations. Thank you to each and every listener out there for your enthusiasm for these stories. You have made it clear to us that you are excited to explore the world of air and space with us here at the Museum of Flight. And I personally, I can't wait to see where we go next. We have got some amazing episodes coming up and I can't wait to share them with you. And today is no exception. For today's episode, we're going to go back in time with one of our museum's docents. Now go with me. It's a balmy 82 degrees in Houston, Texas, on the morning of September 12th, 1962, when a high school student named Bob Salling has his class interrupted by an unexpected announcement. He and his classmates have no idea that in just a few hours, they will hear the President of the United States, John F. Kennedy, give one of the greatest speeches of his time in office, a speech that would become a rallying call for the space program in the United States. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. It was about nine o'clock on a Wednesday. I looked it up here recently to see what day of the week it was, and it was the, uh, the 12th. It was the second Wednesday of the school year. And about five minutes after nine, I was up at the blackboard drawing a theorem in geometry class. Some of this I remember like yesterday. The speakers opened. In our high school, which was built in 1936, opened in 36, the speakers were old style, and you could hear each one of them clank open, and it sounded like someone dropping an anvil in the room. Wow. For the only time in the three years I was at the high school, the assistant principal spoke to us. He had a real deep powerful voice. And he said, I want you to stop what you're doing. Very dramatic effect. He paused and we listened and he said, I want you to pick up everything in your class there, get all your papers, books, everything. You are not coming back to class today. In a moment, I'm going to ring the bell. And when I do, you're all to return to your home room. For those of you that aren't familiar with home room, it's the location you go to each morning to check into and for attendance, and then they tell you what the plan of the day is. You're there for about 10 minutes and then start your first class. He rang the bell, and we returned. What did you all think was happening at this We point? didn't know. We <laughs> didn't know. We were in a quandary. The first rumor that started circulating was there was another hurricane, uh, another hurricane coming into town. We came up with other ideas, but no one guessed it. After about five minutes in, in homeroom, the speakers clanked open again, and we waited forever. And finally, the principal came on, and this was a very soft-spoken gentleman named Goetti. And Dr. Goetti said, 
This morning, you're going out to Rice University to the football stadium where you will hear a speech by the President of the United States. In a few moments, we will tell you where your buses will be to meet, and you'll go there. We all looked at the speaker like a Martian was coming out of it head first, <laughs> and anyway, no way that they're going to send twenty-five or 2,000 high school Harrys out to go to Rice University. And how big was your high school? My high school had just under 2,000 students, plus faculty and staff. So we had at least 2,000 people there that day. It's a big school. And this was Houston, and nearly all the high schools were that big or bigger. So there were about 20 high schools, so you had almost 40,000 students, between 35 and 40,000 students that were going to be there that day, if we were this was to believe. We couldn't believe it. One of the girls in my class was a, a very devout Catholic and had kept up with everything during the election about Kennedy. She was a, a devoted Kennedy follower, you might say, Kennedy fan. Was that common in Houston? No. In the 60s, it wasn't for two reasons. One, Johnson had run against Kennedy in the Democratic primary, and Kennedy had said some pretty hateful things about Johnson, and so Kennedy wasn't too well liked. Okay. The other thing was Kennedy was Catholic, and many people, especially of conservative religious views, thought that the Pope was going to run the White House. That was talked about a great deal in 1960. In addition, he was too young. He was the youngest president ever elected to this day, and so it's a, it's a, uh, he was 42 or 43 when he became president, and so he was, many thought he was just too young. In general, Kennedy squeaked by carrying Texas because he had Johnson as a running mate. And we never imagined Johnson would be there also. But Jan, the, the, the student that was following Kennedy, sort of the Kennedy fan club, she said, no, he's in town today to make a speech. Maybe we're going to hear that, and there was no way you could convince us. <laughs> so after about five minutes, the bell rang again. We get up and go to where a signed uh, bus was. We find a convoy of buses out there. And this is a mixed breed of buses. There are city buses, there are school buses, there are Greyhound and Continental Trailways buses, there are private tour buses. There was any type of bus the city could commandeer or pay for. And there's about 45 of them out there, a long double parked line behind the school. We get on our bus and within just a few minutes, the convoy rolls out and it rolled out smartly. It's three blocks from my high school to the interstate. We get on Interstate 45, go to downtown Houston, hit a one-lane road, and we're cutting through town at about 40 miles an hour as fast as we can going towards Rice. We arrive at Rice in about 25 minutes. The bus pulls up and we just pull up in a long line side by side. The door opens and this little lady, about 5'2", wearing a plastic uh, we love Jack hat in red, white, and blue colors, jumps on board, and she's just bouncy as can be. She's just so cheerful, it makes you want to puke. We weren't <laughs> ready for this. This was too much. So she said, don't leave anything on the bus. It's leaving immediately. Follow me. And she steps off, and this five-foot-two lady, we had to run to keep up with her. And she takes us into the stadium. We turn left and go up and into the stadium and go down to where on the 40-yard line. And across the, the football field from us at about the 30-yard line, we can see them constructing a uh, speaker stand. As we started to set down, this young lady said, stop, stop, stop. You can't set down yet. And we thought, why? Why can't we be seated? She said, I want everyone to raise their right hand up. And that's as close as you can set to the next person beside you. So we were skipping seats. 
effectively there was a seat between each person. And that's how we sat. There was no one across the field. There was not a single person except a police officer standing at each gate that came up into the stadium from the outside. There was a police officer standing there barring it and no one else. The end zones were empty. No one. And the band and a few people seated over on the on the uh, riser across from us. Other high school students were arriving constantly, and the buses had left immediately to go pick up the next tier of students coming in. They had to use shuttles and relays to get these people in here because Houston is so big and there were so many high schools and only so many buses. Well, they kept coming in and filling up and filling up. And after about an hour and a half, someone up at the top of the bleachers screams down, here they come. And in a moment, we heard sirens and motorcycles, lots of sirens and lots of motorcycles. It was a presidential motorcade. They drive in the parking lot. They go around to the back. The motor's shut off. The sirens are quiet. And we sit and wait three or four minutes. And then we see a mob of people coming in. The first people to come in are all wearing sunglasses and not looking at the other people. They're looking at the crowd, obviously Secret Service. And it suddenly dawns on us that this is really, really happening. What had made it about 20 minutes prior to that, what had made us think that this is really going to be happening was that a tall man carrying an artist's portfolio in leather walked up, opened it up, and on the front of the podium hung the seal of the President of the United States. Hmm. You could literally hear people gasping when he did that. I'll bet. This was real. That's only for the President. And so we are going to see him. At that point, it really started getting real. And when we saw John Kennedy walk into the stadium surrounded by the Secret Service with Vice President Johnson towering over him and other dignitaries with him, we were across a football field, but we could recognize him. President Kennedy walked up to the podium. He paused, looked around, and proceeded to give the best speech I've ever heard in my life. To put that in perspective, in high school, I was on the debate team. I was an extemporaneous speaker. I went to speech contests. And I knew the basics of how to give what was expected in a speech, how it's supposed to motivate, excite you, entertain you, all of these different characteristics of a good speech. And within about 30 seconds, Kennedy was doing all of it. <laughs> when he approached the podium, he was given polite, what we would call today, a golf clap. A lot of people didn't like Kennedy. A lot of parents didn't like Kennedy, and by extension, their children didn't like Kennedy. This was a fantastic speech. Now, did you know that the speech was going to be about space? or I didn't anything? know what it was going to be about. Okay. We knew nothing going in. We didn't even know for real that until we got there and saw the seal go up on the podium, we never believed that we were going to hear Kennedy. Mm -hmm. It was just too inconceivable that 35,000 high school students were going to be brought out to hear a speech by the president. Kennedy talked... He inspired, he motivated, he pleaded, he looked into our eyes. How a man in 17 minutes can look into 35,000 eyes, I don't know, but he did it repeatedly. He drew you in. He really pulled us into the speech. He had little bits of humor in there uh, about doing things that were appropriate to the, to the location. At the end of the speech, he had taken 35,000 high school kids who had politely applauded the office of the President of the United States 
to fanatics who were cheering for five minutes for Jack Kennedy at the top of their lungs. Mm-hmm. In the deep south of In Texas. the deep south of Texas, yes. Within three minutes, he was gone. Within five minutes, we were on our bus headed back to high school. We arrived in time to go to lunch and get our last two periods. My last period was English class, given by the debate coach who was head of the competitive, the contestant uh, speaking, uh, the the competitive speakers, the debaters and others. And he said, I've taken notes during the speech. (laughs) He was there also, all the teachers were. And he said, I took notes. And he said, I want to do an autopsy of this speech and show you what you're supposed to do. You'll never get a better example. And so we discussed that speech. Three years ago, three and a half years ago, I went to my 50th high school reunion. We talked about who dated who, who married who, the fact that our high school won the state championship in basketball, and our basketball center went on to become the Olympic gold medal winning center in 1968, who had done what. That was sort of a general trend, but the one thing that was at every table you visited at some point they all talked about was the day we all went out and saved the president's butt because no one was coming. When President Kennedy scheduled his speech, the people, the handlers, you might call them today, the planners, thought, well, they will come out to hear the president speak about Houston becoming the space center. Houston was so adamant in their dislike of Kennedy that no one came. They gave away tickets free. All you had to do was pick one up. The morning before the, of the speech, it was stated later on the news that there were about six to 800 people had picked up tickets. And we could see six or 800 adults down on the periphery in front of us who were wearing hats and carrying signs, some in protest. But they were the only adults there other than the, the faculty and staff. In a city of, of thousands. This was a city that the region was approaching close to three quarters to a million people. And no one was coming. And so... This stadium, which seated eighty to 85,000 people and has been used for the Super Bowl, this stadium was going to be empty, and this was going to be a black eye for the president. And the space program. And the space program. Yeah. Some local WAG came up with the idea, why don't we get the school district to send all of the high school students in Houston, the Houston Independent School District, why don't we have them come there for a field trip to see a president in quotes? It was a good idea. But it took them hours to get it organized. By 9 o'clock, the ball was rolling. They had had to commandeer, as I said, every bus in the city. And it took hours to get it all rounded up. They quickly did. And the speech that we heard was the result. What was your perception of the space program? Was it even something on your radar? It was on everyone's radar in Houston because they had chosen it very early in the administration. And by late 1961, just about every vacant warehouse on the east side of Houston had been rented by contractors and subcontractors for the aerospace industry. What was your opinion of the space program? Were you excited about it? Were you ambivalent? I had had visited the, the 1962 World's Fair here in Seattle a month before the speech. On the 15th of August, I was here, and on the 12th of September, I was at that speech. And it had gotten me somewhat excited about the space program, but the thing that turned me off of the space program was that it was so automated. Uh, The technology was taking over the man. The man wasn't in charge. The technology was. 
the one highlight of the missions was when Gordon Cooper had to land the the uh, the last of the Mercury flights using a marks on a window made with a grease pencil and his Omega watch to navigate it. And he was able to land closer to the target than any other pilot in the six flights. Well, Bob, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, if a visitor comes in on a Thursday morning, they might uh, run into you. I hope they do. It's a fun story to share with people, how a bunch of high school students saved the president's bacon one day. <laughs> and uh, it's not a story that's out there, but it did happen. And uh, we're all proud of the fact that for a brief moment, we were part of history. Yeah, you certainly were. Bob, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy it. Many years ago, the great British explorer, George Mallory, who was to die on Mount Everest, was asked why did he want to climb it. He said, because it is there. Well, space is there. And we're going to climb it. And the moon and the planets are there. And new hopes for knowledge and peace are there. And therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. Bob is a docent on most Thursday mornings here at the museum, and he loves to share this story in person. You can learn more about the Apollo program at our Apollo exhibit. And for you space fans, mark your calendar for the summer of 2019 when the museum will host Destination Moon from the Smithsonian, featuring the Apollo 11 command capsule that brought the first humans to land on the moon safely back to Earth. You can find more information about this along with a link to Kennedy's full speech at our website, museumofflight.org podcast in this episode's show notes. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with our episodes and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded us from. You can contact the show at podcast at museumofflight.org. Until next time, this is your host, Sean, saying we'll see you out there, folks. Music.